This is Stephen Adams. And this is Kevin Dr- Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kevin Durant. <laughs> You're Kevin Durant, mate. <laughs> good to see you, mate. Different complexion. Okay, let's go. <laughs> so, this is Stephen Adams. And this is Anna's Cantor. You're listening to the Down to Earth... Down to Dunk podcast. What? Down to, down to Dunk. Down to Dunk. I'll down say that. Dunk. Introduce yourself, mate. Here's two that is, and I'm Anna's Cantor. And you're listening to Down to Dunk podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Down to Dunk podcast. This is your host, Andrew Schlecht. And with me, it's not John Hamm. It's the best Thunder writer ever, Royce Young. Royce, how are you? What an upgrade. Yes. <laughs> Your Wednesday pod has been upgraded to Royce You're the Hamm. worst, John Hamm. <laughs> uh, we do miss you, John Hamm. Uh, John Hamm's awesome. Uh, so we have two items on the on the bill today. Number one is Dion Waiters. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Faisal sent us a question, and he just wants to know how we felt after Dion hit that game winner. Uh, were you watching it, or I guess oh, I was it on watching Twitter? It. Okay, what, what no, are your I, I watched it. I watched the end of that game. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people's uh, it, you know initial reaction is going to be happy that the Warriors lost. Yeah, uh, but for me, as a full-on Dion Waiters uh, apologist. And um, I, I was just really happy for Dion. I mean, like, and you, and Dion was happy for Dion too. And he was. you know, he, like, my joke was that he's been waiting his whole life to hit that shot because, you know, he that you know he desperately has always wanted to be the guy that that got to take those type of shots. And you know, the, the just in terms of if we're talking just about statistics here, uh, the chances of that shot actually going in were were fairly slim. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, mean, I think I think that there was as much uh, surprise for Dion Waiters that that went in. You know, of course, you know it, it it was to beat the Warriors, and you know that is kind of comical to me that uh, you know Durant played four straight former teammates, and Dion Waiters is the one that beats him. <laughs> Although I don't know that Dion Waiters necessarily beat the Warriors as much as South Beach beat the Warriors. Yeah, that's probably uh, true. But uh, no, I'm very happy for Dion. Dion was a, a, a awesome guy when he was in Oklahoma City. I think that you know he didn't get quite enough credit even for for trying to buy in the way that he did. You know, we all we all love Dion Waiters. Um, so I, I was I was happy for him. And uh, you know, the fact that it beat the Warriors, you know, sure. I'm, for for Thunder fans, I'm sure that was a little bit of the icing on the cake. It was for sure. Even after the game, he said that that was a moment that he that was like realized from his like childhood where he said that he just would sit out in his front yard and uh count down three two one and he said that was the first time that it ever came to fruition which is pretty but it nice. actually went in yes, yes. <laughs> that's not surprising whatsoever <laughs> that 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 was the first time that it went in yeah so i mean uh I, he was awesome in that game though and he you was. know you got to give some of those shots were bad and they went in but like uh you know he he played fantastically down the stretch of that game, and it was the full Deion Waiters experience. Him hitting step back threes for crying out loud! That one that he hit on the left wing was even better. Yeah, uh, that put him up by I think it was put him up by like five with a minute left or something like that. But, it was insane. Yeah, good for uh, Deion. Yes, he's super happy fun. birthday, Deion. Happy birthday, Deion. Um, people, and this has sparked like a what did Sam Presti do letting Deion Waiters go? I don't think the Thunder would be that much Jail better. Waiters made one shot? <laughs> I don't think Dion would make this team all that much better. Maybe like one or two games at the very most. Because I do think he provides some defense and some stuff that guys like Moro and Abrinas can't. Um, 
but I don't think that it's like a massive margin. I don't think that like Sam Presti's like kicking himself right now. Uh, I mean, Dion Waiters would be playing, you know, 22 minutes a game probably. I mean, Oladipo is, is to me clearly better than, than Dion Waiters. Yep. I mean, you can look at any number, any number, which way you want. And Victor Oladipo is better than Dion Waiters. Um, you know, the other aspect is, you know, just in terms of like the, you know, semantics of it, that it, it enabled by, you know, not, or I guess, what did they do? They uh, rescinded his qualifying offer that enabled the Thunder to do a number of different things, and including uh, give Russell Westbrook a uh, an extension, which seemed to be a quite important thing for the franchise. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess they could have gone back after the fact that once Waiters was uh, an unrestricted free agent. But the thing is, is that if people are if people are dumb enough to sit there and say, "Well, the the Heat signed him," for, what what did he get? Two million a year? I don't remember what it was. I think it's three, a little over three. Three, and it's like, well, the Heat signed him for three million. Why didn't the Thunder sign? Well, he went to Miami for that deal because they promised him he'd be a starter, which he is, and he's gonna have the ball in his hands all the time. This is a this is an audition season for Dion Waiters, and that's what he was after was to make himself some cash, and he was not gonna take a three million dollar deal from the Thunder. I mean, that's just it wasn't gonna happen. The Thunder, if the Thunder wanted to keep Dion Waiters, which they would have had Kevin Durant resigned, mm-hmm. uh, the Thunder were gonna keep him, but it was gonna require them, you know, paying him. 10 to 11 million dollars a year and probably matching on a restricted free agency uh, offer sheet so um you know could they would they be in a slightly better position having Dion waiters yeah i guess he's a, you know he's an adequate nba player but in terms of like roster construction and long time long-term future uh there's really no reason to have him on the team yeah i totally agree and i think it, it also allowed them to bring over alex abrinas and abrinas is the type of player that russ needs to play with uh, exactly a consistent shooter uh, I mean, Dion is, he can shoot, but he's so streaky. I mean, he'll go weeks without hitting shots, it seems like sometimes. So right now it looks great, but I would check back in with Dion in a few and weeks. And Abrinas has true upside. I mean, that, that's yes. the thing. Waiters, I, I'm not saying, I mean, you could probably say, I, I think that Dion Waiters probably maximized his uh, his potential in a lot of ways um, with the Thunder mm-hmm. as a like high-level role player. And that's probably like, the very best he can be. And I think he probably realizes that as well. He, he still wants to be a star and maybe it'll, he'll break through. I mean, fingers crossed. I hope he does. Um, but like, but like Abrinas has like the upside in terms of being like a true marksman in the NBA that you can position on the floor with a, you know, a drive and kick guy like Westbrook that can become really valuable. You know, people so often, you know, you, you get excited about these players and then you start watching them play on a night to night basis and you forget that he's a rookie. I mean, Alex Abrinas is a rookie. Demas Sabonis is a rookie. Uh, go back and, and watch tape and, and look at the game logs of Giannis Antetokounmpo when he was a rookie. I mean, these guys go through big growing pains, and it happens. And the, for a lot of them, it doesn't click until year two, three, or four. So, um, yeah, I, if, you're, if, you're, if you're sitting there and you're saying, would you rather have Waiters or Abrinas, I think tomorrow night, like, or I guess they play tonight. Tonight's game, I'd probably rather have Dion Waiters. I think he'd make the Thunder better tonight over Alex Sabrinas. But in terms of the long-term future of, and health of the franchise, it's not even a question. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, item number two, Kostinger got a haircut. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, smartly, smartly moving further away and distancing himself from the Eric Trump look that he was. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, moving away from the Eric Trump look is always a, a good move for anyone. I'm, I'm looking at this picture, Andrew, and I don't exactly know even how to categorize it. Really, I don't know what it is. It's like a, it's like a shaved, side shaved, head, 
Slinky. It's like a slicked back bowl cut. Is that what? He wants to look like uh, Joffrey, right? Is that what it is? Maybe kind of like a mohawky. Yeah, thingy. there's there's this mohawky thingy. I think that's what he asked for when he sat down. Can I have the, the mohawky thingy? Give me the mohawky thingy. Um, uh, always, we have to note any changes within Kyle Singler or his wardrobe. Did you see the, the shirt that he wore to a birthday party earlier this year where it had like yeah, flames and dice on it? Mm, nice. It's uh, just a predictable Singler You know, shirt. what made me think of as I'm sitting here looking at it, like what I, I picture this, like this scene where like Kyle Singler walks in to get his haircut and he looks at, at the uh, barber and he's like, just give me something that like nobody's going to make fun of. <laughs> And like that's what that's what he says, and it makes me think of that like Simpsons episode where they're trying to come up with a what they want to name Bart, and Homer's like, I just want to come up with something that nobody can make fun of because it, so it doesn't like rhyme with any stupid word, which you know obviously Bart rhymes with Bart. <laughs> and so it like makes me think of like Kyle Singler sitting down, and he's like, just give me a haircut, nobody else, nobody's gonna make fun of. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook have a very strange relationship now. Uh, when do you do, when do you think that that will change? Do you think it'll be like the All Star Game? Like what what's your prediction for whenever they bury the hatchet? Or do you think this is just like a uh, I'm going to forever ignore Kevin Durant thing from Russell Westbrook? I would say the hatchet potentially gets buried uh, at the end of their careers. I mean, honestly, I, I don't. I, I mean, Kevin is completely willing i think to bury the hatchet but this is like what i tell everybody andrew he's the guy that left you know he's not the one that has any you know any reason to be upset he made his choice you know he left and the only thing that he could reasonably be mad about would be maybe some of westbrook's like you know subversive subtle moves or you know wearing the photographer's jacket or whatever it is or you know or maybe like Westbrook not wanting to talk to him or whatever it might be. But like Durant has no reason to like hold like a grudge with Westbrook. Like right. Durant's the guy that left. Westbrook has legitimate reasons to hold a grudge. Mm-hmm. Like Durant left. Like Westbrook wanted to keep him. Westbrook went out of his way and did a number of different things in trying to keep him. Uh, and, you know, in terms of like what he said to him in the meeting out in LA and like the things that they talked about. And, and not only did Durant leave, but he left to go play with Steph. And, yeah. you know, for like Westbrook, this was like validation and, uh, you know, it was it was kind of a slap in the face to him because you know these two guys went through so much, and Durant defended rigor, rigorously defended Westbrook so many times in the media and all the criticism, and you know basically Durant validated it all by going to play with somebody else. And I for Westbrook, a guy that does you know prioritize loyalty and like you know if you burn Westbrook. You know, I've seen him do this with reporters. Even if you burn Westbrook, you're dead to him. And like so, uh, like he's not gonna, he's not just gonna like just willingly get over that um, unless like he has some sort of like life change or like some new perspective or something like that. Uh, I can see it maybe one day. You know, as they're you know once they're really not competitors anymore, that Westbrook just decides to move on from it. But to him, like not only did Durant leave, but he went to the Warriors. He and you know. The way and the manner in which that Durant did it, without like really telling Westbrook face to face or even calling him to tell him, um, you know, those are just things that he's not going to get over. Yeah, and he has such a tight knit circle around him. Like he he doesn't have like this massive group of people around him like Durant would, or really a lot of like famous basketball players have like a big group around them. Uh, and he's not particularly friendly with like a ton of NBA players like like some other guys. He's just very unique when it comes to who he lets in. 
and that also makes it that much easier for him to not include people. <laughs> so I don't think right. that he cares anything about, you know, remending that relationship or whatever. I think that he's very content with the people that he has around him. Exactly. Russell Westbrook is very comfortable in his own skin and his own identity. And he doesn't really care if you like him or you don't. And like, I mean, that's, that's just the legitimate truth. So, you know, I, I don't think he's necessarily losing sleep over the fact that like him and Kevin Durant aren't best buddies anymore. I think he's more, you know, he's, he's certainly, um, you know, he's certainly bothered by the fact of what Durant did and he's just not going to get over it. I mean, that's, I, I think people are like, why would Westbrook get over it? But like, you have to think of the history these guys have and like the things that were said, the things that were done and like, uh, over time. And, and in Westbrook's mind, like they were in a three, one series against that team. And like, that was his, his guy. And then, you know, this is the point I've also made. I made it with uh, Slater after the, uh, on his podcast, after, uh, the, the game last week, but Durant took something from Westbrook. He took Westbrook's ability to win a championship away, at least in the immediate future. And like, you know, I believe Russ when he says that his his primary goal in life is to win a championship. That dude is the most con- competitive SOB that I know of <laughs> in professional basketball. Mm-hmm. And now he's not in a championship position. And Kevin Durant is the one that took that from him. So, you know, I'm sure he holds that against him as well. Yeah, he should. And he's probably like on a, on a night-to-night basis reminded of it because – there's a massive hole on this roster and it says Kevin Durant on it because this team was built for Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, not right. just for Russell Westbrook. So it's just glaringly obvious until they're able to make some kind of move to, you know, reshape this roster because the roster does it needs reshaped to fit around Russ as the superstar and as the absolute focal point. Cause right now it doesn't make sense. There's not enough space on the court. Uh, right. There's guys on the wing that don't make any sense next to Russ. And it's, it's just kind of a, I don't know, they're just, it's just a work in progress right now. Exactly. Uh, so this week's Hot Hand Player of the Week, brought to you by Anchor Down, is Steven Adams. So Adams came back uh, against the Utah Jazz, and I really didn't give the Thunder a, a great chance to win against the Jazz. Uh, and Russ, obviously, he, he put the ball in at the end of the game. He scored, uh, you know, a majority of the points for the Thunder. But Steven Adams' play at the end of the game, I think, deserves you know, accolades because he had a massive block that would have, uh, I think potentially tied the game. Uh, his, then he had a break. Are you talking about the dunk. one where he saved it? That one? Yes. Like, yeah. Also, that was a terrible call. I feel like nobody talked about that. Adam saved that ball. Like yes. he was not out of bounds. That was a bad call. <laughs> uh, he was, he maybe had the most impactful nine point six rebound game I've ever seen. Because when I looked at the stats after, I'm like, oh, well, that's really underwhelming. And I think a lot of people do this with the Thunders. They look at the stat sheet after the game and like, well, Russell Westbrook did that all by himself again. Uh, and it really right. underscores the fact that Steven Adams does all the little things for the Thunder to win, and he for sure did that the other night. So uh, in the segment sponsored by Anchor Down, go to Anchor Down for lunch. It's a great place. If you work downtown, you can walk over there. Uh, really great corn dogs, good salads. You can get some pizza tots. It's a great place to go uh, to watch games. You can go tonight or tomorrow night. Uh, they have the game on uh, big screens. You can get yourself a beer, get yourself a corn dog. Delicious place. And it's and it's a cool looking place. It, it is cool looking. Yeah, the great patio. If we got some good, if you if you got good weather, it's a good good patio spot too. So I, I wanted to, for this podcast, talk more kind of big picture because a lot of people's questions right now are like trades, like who should the Thunder trade for? What should they, what should they do? Who should they target? And 
somebody who's come up, and I don't mean to like completely like squash people's hope here, but somebody that's come up is Paul George. And first I'm going to bring up a trade idea to you, and I want you to tell me what you think, and then we can talk kind of generally about why Paul George is probably not coming to Oklahoma City. But the idea that people are throwing out is, and this doesn't work like in the trade machine or like as a real trade or anything, but um, <laughs> Paul George, just like the idea of Paul George plus whatever filler for Steven Adams and Victor Oladipo. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean... <laughs> I don't. I don't like the idea of giving up Stephen Adams. I mean, I, I hate to say that, you know, because Paul George is a tried and true star, <clears throat> no question about it. But if we're just talking about like, you know, one of these totally hypothetical, like, what do you think of this trade type of deal? Like, uh-huh. I, I, th- you know, I, th- I'm trying to think of. You got to think of it as like, okay, you know, clearly Paul George is the best player in the trade. I'm not going to disagree with that. Mm-hmm. But, but in terms of like building a roster and building a team that's good and like fits with Russell Westbrook and gets the thunder back to being really good. Like giving up Adams and Oladipo. I don't know that the thunder, like I I feel like the thunder are closer to getting to to getting pretty good with both of those guys alongside Westbrook and then something else rather than, you know, kind of almost, you know, blowing up the team in a way. And then, you know, now, now you've got Paul George and Russell Westbrook together and then, but you, you got to go get a third guy again. You know, I think Ennis Kanter has proven to really develop and become a much better player this year. But I don't think he's ready to just step in and be your starting center and play 35 minutes a game. There's too many situations the Thunder would have problems with mm-hmm. um, in doing that. You know, Adams's versatility is what makes Ennis Kanter effective in a lot of ways because Ennis Kanter, uh, you know, he can't guard a lot of fours in the league. Teams want to put him and just abuse him in pick and roll. So you, I mean, Stephen Adams even can guard threes, some select threes in this league. I mean, his his versatility as a seven footer is really underrated so um i know that most people are like oh you're gonna say no to that type of trade i mean paul George, but like i'm thinking about what what gets the thunder to being a championship contender faster i think it's having adams and oladipo alongside westbrook and then trying to get something else not necessarily like a paul george caliber player but like rather than kind of starting from scratch in a way and just having george and westbrook together yeah i totally agree i i th- I mean, Adams is just like scratching the surface of like what he can do. And I think that Paul George is completely established as to like the type of player he is. I'm not sure how much better he's going to get. Uh, I don't, I don't even know. Like, I think Paul George is good, but I think I expected more out of him this season, um, on a Pacers roster where he basically can do whatever he wants. Uh, he's only scoring like 22 points a game, which I know is, is pretty good, but I, I expected him to get closer to 30. Like, I don't know. He broke his leg in half. Like, yeah. <laughs> what was it? Two and a half years ago. Yeah. I mean, like that's not just something that like you can guarantee that the guy is completely recovered from. And Paul George is a name. He's a, he's a star player. Um, but you know, if, if I was, if I was going to give up Steven Adams in a trade, I would redirect my focus elsewhere. You know, I, I would direct it towards New Orleans. Or, mm-hmm. you know, and try to get Anthony Davis. If I'm going to give up Stephen Adams, Victor Oladipo, and, like, really blow something up, like, I'm going to try to swing for the fences and try to really pair Westbrook with somebody. Yes. Um, because, again, I, I don't mean to take anything away from Paul George. He's one of my absolute favorite players in the league. I love Paul George. But I just don't know that, like, I, I think that we, we might be basing this a little bit more on reputation uh, yeah. than, than what's actually happening. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that, that makes them better than the Rockets, or certainly doesn't put them on par with no. the Warriors. I mean, there's you. You plug you know that wing hole with 
with Paul George, but then like you have a massive hole at you know several other positions, and right. you know then you expect like Alex Abrines to play big minutes. Like is he ready to do that? Like on a consistent basis, and yeah, who, yeah, who starts at center? Is Sabonis your starting center? I don't, I don't even know what you do because I don't think you can start Canner. No, uh, you can't. <laughs> I mean, you start Laverne and Sabonis together. I mean, Ooh, I don't yeah. know. That to me, that that would be a precursor to filling it out, filling out the team in other ways. And and you mentioned it. I I think people are going to see it over the next couple of years, and people might think I'm crazy, but like Stephen Adams has much more of an offensive game than he shows. And he, he started to, to feel a little bit more and more comfortable with it in the past couple months mm-hmm. with him posting more. Um, but like, I'm telling you the guy's going to shoot mid range shots at some point, And I think he's going to shoot threes as, yeah. as much as people think that that is insane. I watch Steven Adams take threes all the time. He looks smooth doing it. He'll, he'll, he'll knock down sometimes the air balls. I mean, cause he's a big man and he's not a very good three point shooter. But like, if you told people that Marcus all was going to be a very high level three point shooter four years ago, they would have thought you were absolutely crazy. True. So I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Steven Adams is going to be a three point shooter within, you know, three or four years. Yeah. Brett Dawson said the same thing on Monday. I mean, it's, I mean, it clearly he's making an impression on the people that are around him a lot, and I just we watch him make him all the time. <laughs> and his his passing is still a little bit underrated. His uh, he's he's just going to be such a complete player. And once he can, and, and I think a part of what's holding him back is part of one of the reasons that he's great is his mentality is so like team centric. Absolutely, and he wants to do whatever he fits the with team Westbrook. wants. Yeah, he just fits with, and Russell loves him. I mean, Russell loves Stephen Adams, and you know this is something uh, we did the True podcast, and this is something Brian Windhorst talked about about the you know the game winner Westbrook hit against the Jazz is like Adams' screen, which you know was quite illegal in some ways, but like Adams as a screener, if if you're talking about like getting Westbrook open, especially late in games, Adams is a complete bulldozer, and there there you know that is a true skill. Uh, that was one of Kendrick Perkins' best redeeming qualities on the offensive end is that he could screen the heck out of people. And Adams has great timing. He's a great role man, and you know that's that's not an attribute to be overlooked. Yeah, and if he and he is a great role man, but if he can pick and pop as well, and that becomes like your your like main point of attack is a pick and roll with Adams and Westbrook, and and you can't really predict what Adams is going to do because like right now right. you know that he's going to roll to the rim, but if he can pop out. Uh, that opens up a ton of stuff for OKC. So, and and you know they've they've used him like I mean, very. It hasn't happened a lot, but you can tell that they're trying to expand Adams a little bit. And there will be times where he doesn't like you know he doesn't dive to the rim where he kind of just does like a half roll where mm-hmm. it's not really a pop as so much as just he doesn't roll. And so then Westbrook will hit him, and he either will you know try to shoot that little floater shot thing that he does yeah. shot putty shot thing <laughs> or he'll look for you know to move the ball to a, a corner from there so like that's kind of a you know a small evolution in uh from you know adams isn't just a straight dive guy he doesn't just screen and then roll immediately to the bucket um he's starting to it's not a pop but it's more of like a stand in place type of deal yeah and his ability to finish on the fast break is just incredible a guy like people like watch it and they're like oh that's really cool but a seven footer that can run the floor like that and can catch on the move and finish. I mean, that's pretty rare. Like there's not very many big guys that can do that. Uh, like Davis and towns and guys like that can, but right. those guys are absolute freaks and can, you know, and, and handle an entire offense by themselves. Look at the, look at where the league is right now too, Andrew. Like 
who, who are you going to have to defend Carl Anthony Towns for the next six years right. or Anthony Davis for the next six years? I mean, like Steven Adams defends those guys and defends them all mm-hmm. uh, for the Thunder right now. So, um, you know, it, and, you know, we talk about like clutch plays, like you look at Adams box score against the Jazz, like you said, 9.6 rebounds doesn't really stand out to you. But like Adams has a knack for make, making like critical clutch plays, like whether it was the block, whether it was that offensive rebounds where he sprawled out all over the floor for it, whether it's, you know, getting back in transition. What game was that? Uh, the Grizzlies game uh, where he chased down Mike Conley and yeah, forced him out. I mean, that was a fan. Yeah, it was a fantastic play. And look, those are like clutch game wing plays um, that, yeah, they, they absolutely don't really, I guess the block and rebound shows up in the box score. But like in terms of impact, you don't really quantify them uh, outside of just watching it happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I don't think, even if Paul George came on the market, I think there are a lot of teams that could, like if Paul George came on the market today, I think Boston calls and say, hey, we could give you these two Brooklyn picks and we'll give you Jalen Brown or whatever. And that trumps anything that the Thunder could possibly send. And and like you said, I just don't think that they're going to trade Steven Adams unless it's for... Uh, Anthony Davis, or if it's for like if some something horrible happens with the Timberwolves and Towns became available, like something like that would make sense. But trading him, I think the Thunder are high on Adams. Like yeah. a lot of other teams are high on their own guys. You know, sure. Yeah, I just don't. I don't see that happening. Um, I re- I've, I've said it before. I think the Thunder have three untouchables, and I, I shouldn't call Adams untouchable because I do think if the Pelicans called him and said we'll give you Anthony Davis for Adams, the Thunder would do that. Yeah. I'm sure. But like for the most part, the Thunder are. You know, not going to include three guys in any trade proposal. I'm pretty sure, and that's Westbrook, Adams, and Nick Collison. I just don't think they're going to just those three guys are just not going to be willingly offered up. Now, like if Nick Collison says, "I want to go play," like I want minutes somewhere, then Presti's going to accommodate that. He's going to he's going to help Collison out. So like, I'm not saying Collison won't be traded because Nick Collison might say, "Hey, I've got some time left. I want to get on the floor and I want to play a little bit before my career ends." Um, but like in terms of like calling up and saying this guy's available would you like him like those three guys aren't getting offered up yeah and i think like you nailed it like the absolute core of the thunder right now is russ and adams and i think that they could part ways with any of the other pieces to get that third piece or to get that's the right yeah who would you say is the third most important player moving forward i think for me it's either oladipo or sabonis but what do you think i think it's probably sabonis um just because to me, Sabonis has a ton of upside in terms of the type of offense Billy Donovan wants to run and like having a ball mover at the four, like Sabonis, I think is a gifted ball handler and passer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, he's a rookie people. So like, if you're looking at box scores and saying, I think Sabonis is trash. Why is he playing? Why do, why aren't they trading? Like, okay, he's a rookie and he's actually, I think quite a good rookie and considering the fact that he's starting for a, mid-level Western Conference playoff team. Uh, you know, Demonis Sabonis is being cast into a number of different situations here, and I think he's actually handling it pretty well. So, um, you know, his three-point shooting has been something uh, that has come along much faster than most anybody anticipated. And, you know, just as a guy like to have as an offensive weapon, I think he can be a really good defensive player. I think he's a high IQ. He's always, you know, he's pretty good at finding himself in the right spot at the right time. Um, and so I... I, I think that Sabonis is probably more critical. To me, Oladipo, um, you know, he's he's a good fit, I think, alongside Westbrook. 
And I think that, you know, they, you know, they, they work well together and Oladipo certainly can be part of the long-term future, but you know, he's a guy that I don't think that necessarily you just like have to like stake your flag in and say like, you know, Victor Oladipo, part of the long-term foundation. Uh, I don't necessarily consider him that. Yeah. And, and Oladipo, he's had a good shooting season next to Westbrook, which has been great. He's taken a ton more threes than he ever has in his career and he's made more than he ever has. But I just feel like he's limited somehow, like by what the Thunder are doing, because he's like that stats up with him, but everything else is down. Even his usage rate is right. down, and I don't, I don't know if that's like an Oladipo thing where he's just trying to get comfortable playing next to a superstar and playing next to like a, he's never played next to a good point guard in his whole career, so he may be getting used to that. But I just, I just watch him play, and I'm like, oh, I just feel like he has more to offer than this, and I don't, I don't know right. how that's to me, isn't he? And I, this sounds like a really huge compliment, but like, isn't he kind of just like a poor man's Clay Thompson right now? Like, I mean, like that's kind of the way the Thunder are using him is that he's just like they don't, you know, he doesn't run off near as many screens like Clay Thompson or anything, but like he's kind of the spot up guy mm-hmm. at the shooting guard position, and like Oladipo is much more dynamic than that, um, you know. But the book on him has always kind of been he's just not a great finisher, he doesn't draw fouls. You know, I mean, it's one of the most amazing things to be that athletic and that strong. And, you know, for his career, he gets to the free throw line, like, what, I think four times a game. Um, so, like, he, for, he he's clearly just not – he's not, like, this aggressive offensive player. And, and if he's comfortable in the role that he's in, I think the Thunder will happily take that. You know, I think that they're going to happily take a guy that's, you know, shooting 50% on catch-and-shoot threes and, you know, knocking him down from the corners at a high rate and playing really pretty solid defense and, you know, can drive and slash a little bit. Uh, but, you know, to me, he's not the Victor Oladipo that I think a lot of people thought the Thunder were getting in terms of, like, ball handling, creation, dynamic versatility, and athleticism. Um, you know, he's really just kind of a glorified spot-up guy, and he's really good at it. It's not bad, um, but there's he's not offering a whole lot more than that. Yeah. He's turned into Kent Bazemore 2.0, which everybody yeah. really wanted last year. But uh, <laughs> I, like I said, I just feel like he's leaving a lot on the table for the Thunder. Um, so I, I think that the Thunder are going to finish probably sixth or seventh. I honestly think that's like the most ideal place for them just because I I just personally, I couldn't handle a Thunder Warriors series this year. Maybe next year would be okay, but certainly not this year. Um, but who do you think that the Thunder match up against best? We've seen them play Houston a bunch, so we already know that they match up okay with them, but how do you feel about their matchup against San Antonio? I actually think they match up okay with San Antonio. I still I still think that. you know, While you've removed Kevin from the equation, which is a significant subtraction, um, <laughs> But the Thunder still do a lot of the same things uh, well and can, I think, frustrate the Spurs in a number of different ways that um, that they could last year and, and the big reason that they won that playoff series. I mean, people forget Andre Robertson basically just eliminated Kawhi Leonard in the series. And the Spurs offense – now. I think that you know a lot of it would hinge on Adams and like Adams' ability to defend Lamarcus Aldridge. Now they they threw up both Ibaka and Adams at uh, Aldridge last uh, during the postseason, and you know they would need that second guy to be able to really kind of I think challenge Lamarcus Aldridge. And you know I don't know if Sabonis Sabonis certainly probably isn't ready to do that. Joffrey Laverne might be able to a little bit, but um, maybe even Jeremy Grant. I don't know if Jeremy Grant's big enough to do that, but uh, but. 
I, I still think that the Thunder can, you know, their length, their athleticism, their size, the Canner Adams lineups, even though they added Pau Gasol, assuming, you know, he comes back healthy. I still think that those lineups are going to give the, uh, the the Spurs a lot of bit, a lot of problems. So I'm not saying I'd pick the Thunder to beat the Spurs in the series by any means, but I do think that Thunder could reasonably take a couple games from them and make it interesting. I think the Thunder, because, you know, the, the, the Spurs would, would almost assuredly use Danny Green and uh, Kawhi Leonard on Westbrook, probably with Leonard more than anything else. And that, once again, I think kind of puts the Spurs in a little bit of a bind um, about you know who they want to use, You know whether it's Tony Parker or Patty Mills. They'd probably try to hide him on Andre Robertson, but then you could start using Robertson as a screener again, and yep. you could probably create switches and mismatches to get Westbrook in the post. I think there's just a lot of ways for the Thunder to probably – give the Spurs some problems in terms of matchups. Yeah, I agree. And to me, the biggest thing is that the Spurs are a team that I feel like Ennis Cantor can stay on the floor for 30 minutes against. And right. they proved that in the playoffs, and I still think it's true today. The Spurs like to play true, two traditional bigs, and that really helps OKC. Any, t- any team that does that and allows Ennis Cantor to play 30 minutes a game in productive minutes, then I think is always a favorable matchup, which is also kind of confusing as to why he's why the Thunder match up with Houston well because a huge part of their talent doesn't play a ton of minutes, but um, right, it's I think that that helps a lot. Yeah, so I think yeah, I'd say the Spurs again. I would not if I was going to pick that series. I'm not saying I pick the Thunder to win it by any means. Right. <laughs> um, I'm just saying I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that the Thunder could could compete with them. I still think that they match up reasonably well with the Clippers. Uh, mm-hmm. I just. Again, it's the, it's the same reasons that you just listed. I think that Cantor can play significant minutes against them, um, assuming that they, you know, play Griffin and Jordan together quite a bit. Uh, the matchup obviously well with the Grizzlies. I don't love the matchup against the Jazz, even though they just beat the Jazz. I, you know, I don't. You know, that was without Rodney Hood, and um, I just don't think that. I think in a playoff series, I think the Thunder, I could see them having just too many issues in the half court. Gobert, I think, is able to, to take away so many things that the Thunder offense want to, wants to do with Westbrook penetrating and getting to the rim and breaking down defense. Um, I just don't I don't have a lot of faith that the Thunder would be able to score consistently enough in the half court. Yeah. Uh, the one thing about the so Jazz I, for me is yeah. that they don't have any playoff experience at all outside True. of George Hill. And I just wonder, like... Westbrook, who has just a massive amount of playoff experience, same with Stephen Adams and a bunch of those guys do. I just wonder what that wonder what that looks like because I agree with you. Like on paper, it doesn't really make it doesn't it doesn't look good for OKC. But when you bring that into account, I just I just wonder. I just would want to see it. Yeah, I think the Thunder have a good chance to get out of the first round almost against anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think that they can be competitive enough to do it. Uh, the sweet spot for me would be, I don't know, I I, I think a, a Thunder Rocket series. I don't know that Thunder would necessarily win that, but, but that series would just be so awesome that I, I would have a lot of stories it. out of that series. Yeah. I mean, it would just be a fun series. So yeah. um, the one that they want to avoid is eight, and I don't think the Thunder are going to have to worry about that. I don't no. think the Thunder are finishing eight. I don't think so. I feel really bad for the Clippers because I do think that they will probably fall to four or five and then have to play the Warriors in the second round and then miss the conference finals once again. Right. And then that narrative that just has hung over that team for forever just won't go away. And I just wonder if that's enough to break the team up. Right. At that point, yeah. I mean, you know, how much longer? You know, Chris Paul is what, 33, 32? 
So yeah, I mean, how much, how much, how many more hurrahs does that group have together? Yeah. They, they bet they took a big gamble this summer, um, basically just recommitting to just bringing back the exact same team. I mean, that's what they did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they, they basically just said like, you know, we were injured last year and we had some, you know, bad breaks and we think that this, this group is good enough to compete. And that's what they did. And, 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 you know, their start to the season suggested that they made the right call. They've obviously dealt with injuries uh, throughout this season. You know, Blake Griffin's back now, but Chris Paul's out. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just been it's been unfortunate for them. Yeah, I wonder what Chris Paul will do. Because I feel like, the, I mean, there's a lot of teams that would love to have Chris Paul. Uh, he turns 32 in May. I just can't stop thinking about him being on the Spurs for whatever reason. And I don't know how they clear the cap. I don't know how they clear the cap space to get him, but I know that the Spurs could do that. And I think I, I picture him playing. For some reason, I feel like he's going to like he'd go to the Knicks or something and play with Melo. But yeah, uh, the Knicks. I would say I would say the Cavs. I, I could just see him going to play for the Cavs. You know, like even though it doesn't really make sense, mm-hmm. like you know, it make a lot of sense. But like I could just see it happening. That would be great. That would be great. Chris Paul, I, he's a really great player and. I kind of I feel bad for him because he just can't he can't catch a break when it comes to the playoffs and some of that has been self inflicted but uh, he's a much better player than people give him credit for. Yeah. Uh, so the Thunder have four more games in this treacherous month of January. They have the Pelicans tonight. Uh, then they have the Mavs on back to back at home, and they finish the month Cavs and Spurs. What do you think happens these next four games? What's the predicted record? You know the you know. With this Thunder team, like there's no like check the box wins, no. and there's just they're just not going to exist. So, you know, I don't. You could say that they should beat the Pelicans tonight, but they could also very well lose to the Pelicans. Um, to me, you know, going two and two, I think would be would be the goal. Um, you know, I, I, with them getting the win in Utah, I think it kind of rebalanced them. You know, that that got the got the game back that they lost against the the Wolves, so it kind of reset them back to square. Well, the game that I think that they're going to regret the most over this month is the games, uh, really all three of them, but it's the games against the Bucks, the Hornets, and the Rockets. Yeah. Um, if they'd won two of those three, then they have a fantastic January. Yep. Um, if they win one of those three, then they have a good January. Really, it's just you know those three losses. They were all close games that just that set the Thunder back in a way uh, to to have a successful month here. But I think the Thunder have acquitted themselves quite well in this month for the most part. I think that they've even you know the game against the Clippers they were a train wreck. But even the game in in Golden State, I thought they played the Warriors well. Um, they you know they just couldn't endure. Uh, an amazing game from Kevin Durant. I mean, that's as mm-hmm. newsflash. That's what the Warriors do to people. They have three incredible scores on their team and holding all three down simultaneously is near impossible. Right. Um, so uh, I, I think the Mavericks game, though, is kind of a sneaky, dangerous one. Um, Mavericks have been playing a little bit better lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Thunder are, you know, first game home after a long road trip, second night of a back to back. I think it's, is that, uh, I don't think it's four and five nights. No, it's, but it's, uh, Six. That's like six and eight. No, that they just had. Uh, they just had a long stretch off. Whatever yeah, had, it is, they had the four days off. But yeah. So yeah. But it is. A, it is a back to back. It is coming off the long road stretch. It is a, to me. It's a little bit of a dangerous game. Uh, but I would think the Thunder would win. They they need to win both of these two ahead of them, and then you know they're going to lose in Cleveland. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think that they can be competitive with the Spurs. I don't think that they're going to necessarily win. I don't think they're going to win. Um, but I think that, I think the goal for, against the Cavs and the Spurs needs to be final six minutes of that game, 
be reasonably in it enough to just like kind of gauge yourself. You know, that, that way you get a test of like, okay, th- these are elite teams and this is what crunch time against these elite teams feels like. Yeah. And I expect them to go two and two. And one thing about the Mavs game is that the Mavs are on a back to back as well. Uh, they'll be, they'll play in New York the night before and then they play in OKC. So I think that game is just as tough for them um, mm-hmm. because of that. So that'll, that'll be interesting to see how both teams play on the second night of a back to back and. Yeah, how this kind of older, weird Mavs team plays, but two and twos, and that puts the Thunder at seven and eight on the month. And I think that if you said they were only a game under five hundred for the month, that uh, that looks pretty good looking back yeah. at the schedule. So I think Thunder fans. There was people that happy. that I saw people that with fears of you know going three and twelve in the month. So <laughs> um, you know, I think, like I said, I think that they've acquitted themselves quite well, and even some of the losses. You know, the, the losses were one possession games. You know, they could have easily beat the Rockets. You know, really, if there wasn't a bad call at the end of that game on Jeremy Grant, they might beat the Rockets. So, yeah, that's um, true. So, I mean, that's just the way it goes. Yep. Royce, thanks for coming on the pod today. We'll follow you on Twitter at Royce Young. Read your stuff at ESPN. Uh, anything else going on with you, Royce, on, uh, on the NBA writing front? Uh, well, got some things coming, got some things in the works. Um, I got to do a. Uh, I don't know what it's going to look like or if they're even going to run it, but I got to do a little sit down with Ennis Kenner that'll be on NBA countdown Ooh. before the cast. So that's that very, be... that's very fancy. Were you like on like a TV set or like, what yeah, we, it was like, we did it at, uh, Ennis does this like cooking show. Yeah. And so it's at vast, which is, you know, the restaurant on top of Devon tower. Yeah. So we did it there. That's awesome. Oh, so. uh, we'll look for that. And, uh, thanks for listening.